Hi, Peter. Hello, Serge. So you're a focusing-oriented therapist, and you pay a lot of attention to the felt sense. You also wrote a book about neuroscience for therapists. And mm -hmm. today, we're going to be talking about the felt sense from mm -hmm. a perspective of neuroscience. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So let me say something about that. I have come to the uh, understanding that the felt sense is, if you like, the essential uh, activity of the right hemisphere of our brains um, much of the time, and that it's normally present, uh, is part, present in that side of our brains, and um, it's sort of going on all the time. Now, there are, are exceptions to that. There are, for example, when we're highly emotional, uh, then we, we don't have felt sense. So understanding the felt sense this way means understanding a little bit about the right hemisphere, which is completely different from the left hemisphere. And that's already a problem because Uh, we all try to understand uh, the right hemisphere in the first place from the perspective of the left. And, yeah, let me uh, stop a little bit because that's something that's very uh, important there. We're talking about uh, the felt sense as sensed with the uh, right hemisphere. And you made the very important uh, caveat that uh, it exists within a certain bandwidth that when there is too much emotion, then it's not present. And I think that uh, maybe there is a confusion for some people that just felt sense is something that happens all the time. And that's, that's really circumscribed to that bandwidth. Well, I, I would argue that, yes. Actually, um, I think a lot of people who, um, for instance, people in the focusing world who use the term felt sense a lot, Uh, consider the felt sense to be something that um, is present when they turn attention inside into their felt experiencing in the body and may not think of it as something that's present uh, much of the time as they go about their life and work and, uh, and everything. But I think, I think it is. Okay. Yeah. And we could go back to gentle in there. Uh, because Gendlin, the way Gendlin writes about the felt sense, he says it forms when we take our attention inside and into the body. And I prefer to think of a, a, a little, to re rerun that as it's already present in the right hemisphere, but it takes a moment or two for the left hemisphere to sort of tune into it when we take our attention in that direction. And that's why Jenlin talks about the felt sense forming inside. So it's a little bit of uh, like that koan about what happens when a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody to hear it. Uh, you know, in that case, the tree falls yeah. in the forest, but it's perceived when we turn our attention to it. Yes, yes. Yep. So for something to happen in the human domain, we need uh, both sides Of, of the brain, yeah. but um, the felt sense in the right hemisphere may be guiding us a lot of the time without a, 
an explicit awareness of it, the sort of explicit awareness we have in inner practices uh, like focusing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is my belief. Yeah, yeah. And the the little more of the neuroscience background to that, uh, while the left hemisphere is paying attention to whatever we're doing, like what we're saying, what I want to say, or what I'm reading, or what I'm hearing, the right hemisphere is um, is aware and aware in a broader sense of uh, myself, my body, my environment, uh, everything around me. And it's, all of that is going on in the background. And my right hemisphere is weaving together my inner world and my outer world uh, to keep them lined up and in sync all the time. And it does that automatically without our having to think uh, a whole lot about it. But when we turn our attention inside, as we do in practices like focusing, then we that becomes that background activity becomes more foreground. And we call that felt sense in the moment experiencing of the, uh, uh, the here and now. Yeah, so that the uh, left hemisphere is more focused attention. And the right hemisphere is a sense of context. Uh, Well, to do with context, because it's a broader um, attention, such Mm -hmm. that if something unexpected um, happens around us, um, then our attention will be diverted towards it, or will very probably be diverted towards it, because it's possible, particularly for some people, to be so focused on what they're doing or some work they're doing that they don't notice things happening uh, around them. And sometimes they maybe need somebody to say, hey, come on, did you hear this or see that? Uh, and their mind has been set. Our minds can get into that sort of tunnel vision uh, state. Yeah, yeah. And so in a sense, we, that brings us to also a, uh, a different definition of mindfulness, which is mindfulness is not necessarily the mind being laser focused, but actually in if we include both hemispheres, it would be that capacity to integrate both. Uh, yes, yes, because we broaden our awareness uh, out so we can be a aware of more than the immediate focus Mm -hmm. of our attention and it can be inward as well as outward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we think of our senses as being our five senses, they're all outward uh, senses, but we also have an inner sense and uh, science calls this interoception. And that's the sense of the body from within. So that includes all the organs in the body Think of the heart and lungs and uh, the gut and uh, blood and hormones going on inside. All the complexity of the physiological body uh, is sensed um, by the right hemisphere. Um, and um, if we become aware of that, we call when we become aware of that, we might call that felt sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, it's uh, the resulting, the component of all this information from the five senses that are tuned to the outside and the uh, inner sensing, interoception, and that provides a composite picture of who you are and how you stand 
with the world? Yes, I think for clarity, I would tend to say the five senses um, are alongside rather than part of that. What comes into us from the five senses, of course, becomes part of of the the felt felt sense. What we what we register, but the felt sense is particularly this inner sense in interoception, um, and. Uh, what's happening in the body, of course, is very often a response to what's happening around us. For example, what's happening in my body now changes from when I'm speaking to when I'm listening to you speaking. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's a very good transition from the notion of interoception as a concept to the practical application of what happens when we pay attention to the felt sense. Yes. Being able to notice these relatively subtle changes that would pass unnoticed if we were not paying attention. Yeah, uh, they could well pass unnoticed, yes, yes. And then the wonderful thing is, of course, the felt sense um, comes to us as, as one one inner experience, one felt sense, actually feeding into it are probably a multitude of things happening inside. But fortunately, our clever brains um, don't uh, deluge us with all the detail. They give us a feeling for how we are and a feeling for the present situation and whether I like this present situation or I don't like this present situation or something doesn't feel quite right about this situation or hey this does feel right i like it let's let's go yeah yeah and so when you describe it this way it's very clear that it evolved as something that is action oriented that is how we are in the world uh and obviously what is it that i could do or at the without knowing how we are in the world we couldn't decide yes. what is that we might want to do. Well, I think that's, um, uh, I go along with you there and saying, yes, it's, it's, it's action-oriented because the, our nervous systems uh, have evolved uh, for us to act. <laughs> uh, of course, they've also evolved for us to rest and, and sleep, uh, which is, um, very, very important, and that then we're not acting uh, exactly, are we? We're, we're asleep. Um, but when we're awake, um, we are acting or we are preparing to act, I guess. Um, maybe we are acting all the time. I'd have to think about that acting in some kind of way. That's what the nervous system uh, is doing all the time. So the, the holistic putting the inner world and the outer world together that happens in the right hemisphere and that is the ground for our experience of the felt sense. Um, there, it's, it makes sense to think of this leads towards um, action. Yeah. yeah. It's the basis for, for action. I suppose perhaps sometimes we, what do you think about this? Sometimes we act without that connectedness with the felt sense and then things don't go so well like I might do something I say well actually I was uh, very uncentered 
I was off center. I was not, wasn't feeling I was in my body. I didn't feel grounded. And so what I did wasn't so good. And so I need to get grounded again so that my next action is going to come more from the center. Yeah, yeah. And so when you're describing it that way, the concept of being grounded um, is the concept of actually being in touch with that holistic uh, sense that our right hemisphere has formed based on information filtered from the outside through the nervous system and inner in information, the interoception. So essentially being grounded means being in touch with what happens organically uh, in terms of orienting to the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all go together, don't they? Yeah. Uh, and in this right hemisphere world, uh, everything is uh, interrelated in a way that is not true of the left hemisphere world. So that's one wonderful thing about the brain. It can, the left hemisphere can break the, the world down into component parts. So the right hemisphere keeps it all together um, as a whole. So if I'm centered, uh, I'm probably grounded um, as well. And um, uh, if I have, uh, when I have access to my false sense, then I need to be grounded. It helps to be grounded to find the false sense. Uh, bring it into into awareness and probably if I sit with uh, my felt sense for a time as we do in focusing for example um, then um, I will feel grounded I may become to feel more grounded as I do that they, they all go together yeah 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 so there's uh, there's something about um, bringing some intentionality to being in a sensing mode, which means being paying attention to the way the right brain operates. Um, sensing, which also involves sensing inner information and how this in turns makes us more grounded. And the experience of being more grounded helps us also be more connected. So we kind of get into that uh, virtuous cycle. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, my belief is rather that it, we're all different, and some people may be naturally um, grounded and centered and um, speaking, acting, interacting from the felt sense without the sort of deliberate sensing inside that people like you and I uh, do a lot of. Some people may be like that. Of course, lots of time, <laughs> they're very easy to find examples of people not uh, being like that. But I think what we're talking about here is a natural human capacity that happens automatically when things are going well. But we know in human affairs and human lives that uh, a lot of the time they don't go well. And then yeah. that natural capacity is diminished or is is lost to some extent yeah 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 so so that essentially um this might be more uh, a sense of with civilized life for many of us 
there is a need to have that intentionality to activate something that is an organic part of functioning. Yeah, it really helps, doesn't it, to do that? Yeah. <laughs> Which is why we do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So where does this lead us to now? Yeah. So when you ask this question, we take a pause, which is kind of uh, what we do in focusing, take a moment, take a pause, and then, you know, something happens. Mm -hmm. And that something often manifests as a felt sense. Mm -hmm. So in some way, we're practicing what we preach, we're demonstrating this in this conversation. Mm. Yeah, this is so important to allow there to be pauses. So we don't just have to, or we shouldn't even just be speaking continually. This triggers something for me. I had a, um, a, a little experience this morning. I was walking up my local street to go to my uh, nearest London tube station to go into central London. And I walked past um, a young woman who was talking on her uh, mobile phone, or you call them cell phones. And what I noticed was she was talking um, all the time. She didn't stop. Uh, and it took me, she was only, I was only walking a little faster than her. So I was hearing her for quite a period of time. And in that time, there was no break in her talking. And I thought, this is strange. Presumably there's somebody at the, <laughs> on the other end of her call listening to her, but she just babbled. And, and I thought, this is a very common um, experience. When I hear people talking on their mobile phones, I may be like this myself, um, there isn't a, a sense of a nice back and forward conversation. There's just a stream verbal stream and um that doesn't feel great that's i don't feel very worried yeah. Yeah. That, that sort of thing but we need to pause and one of the things that happens in pausing of course is as you say a new felt sense can arise um there's also the process of things uh of what's been going on like what we've been saying so far going in, sort of being digested, going into the, the whole of uh, our mind inside, which really means the, the right hemisphere, the, all the reverberations uh, inside our mind and the feedback from the body, which is an intrinsic uh, part of that. And we need that to happen to have um, creative useful uh false false senses yeah 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 and so how does this manifest in therapy how do you <laughs> right you know so let's talk a little bit about that yes yeah well we we do this in therapy don't we we the as therapists, we're trained, I hope, hopefully, to use both sides of our brain. So why, 
while I pay uh, focus, uh, give focused attention to what my client is saying and follow the details and follow the story and follow the content, I'm also giving some uh, space to my right hemisphere, which is looking at the bigger picture. So that means my, noticing things about the client, like their body language, their manner of speaking, the, my sense of their connectedness and centeredness in the way they're speaking, the coherence of the story that they're telling me, and my awareness of my felt response, how I feel listening to this person telling me whatever they're telling me. So I'm using both my focused awareness and my uh, broad awareness and allowing myself to have a felt sense of the whole of our interaction, not just what the client is saying, but how it feels for uh, that this person and me to be sitting here um, having our, thera the thera our therapeutic dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And so as you describe it this way, there's something that explicitly you're describing uh, the process of paying attention to information from both hemispheres and um, allowing that information to integrate uh, so that there is a view of the situation as a whole. Implicitly, what you've also said is that unlike other approaches to therapy where say the, uh, it's defined by what you do with the client, what, uh, what uh, procedure you might be using. Uh, you know, it is conceivable to be a focusing-oriented therapist by having this focusing approach, mm -hmm. being a therapist, without necessarily having uh, specific focusing interventions with the client. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 uh, and that's that's the way I I like to work. Now you see, without specific focusing interventions, uh, of course, uh, to my mind, there are a very wide range of focusing interventions we can use because there are ways of of saying something back in the dialogue or of suggesting something that um, are. Uh, encouraging and supporting of the client's, well, the therapist and the client's awareness of the felt sense uh, behind, under or underneath what's being what's being said. So certain ways of, of phrasing something like, uh, well, this word something that we use a lot in focusing, uh, you use putting the word something into a reflection to the, the client. Um, this is a very, uh, a very simple, but incredibly useful uh, technique. Um, if you want to call it technique or an intervention, you want to call it an intervention, but it's a way of, of speaking that helps us to have a conversation that's, that is uh, grounded in, centered in both of our, about senses we've talked to though there's something happening here there's something you're feeling there's something i'm feeling 
And we don't have to immediately decide what that something is, but we can point our attention towards that uh, something. Yeah, yeah. so that, uh, that's a way to point without um, framing it in a way that uh, narrows it down, but actually something it invites an opening, it invites curiosity. There's something I'm noticing or there's something happening. That's something, yeah. Yeah, and that's pointing at the right hemisphere world mm-hmm. because that's what the right hemisphere comes up with. Hey, there's something here. <laughs> and then what we learn to do as therapists is to, um, and we learn, maybe learn this explicitly over here in our left hemisphere, is to take that sense of something seriously and do something about it, uh, act on it, rather mm-hmm, than just mm-hmm. say, oh, well, there was something there, and let it drift away, but to pick up on it. Right, right. So it's not just a curiosity of, oh, yeah, there's something happening moving on, but it's actually an entry point. It's, it, yes, an entry point to a new world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's a lovely quote from Maturana and Varela, if some of your listeners uh, know Uh, these writers, they say, every reflection brings forth a world. Mm. And I I, I love that uh, very simple statement. It's a new world comes forth every time we allow ourselves to reflect, take our time, pause, and speak uh, from the far sense, allow something new to come into our awareness and to maybe find uh, words for it or not necessarily words of course some other form of uh, self-expression yeah 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 yeah. and so uh, in some way you're describing the dna of the work the sense of something that's part of the structure um, that the therapist being in that mode of engaging the right hemisphere as well as the left one is able to notice those little somethings and draw attention to them with the client. And drawing attention to them is not just drawing attention to something, but is actually engaging the client in working with the right hemisphere. And so that's how the process is drawn to that right hemisphere kind of processing. Yes, we're encouraging and supporting the client to open up their, his or her right hemisphere world, mm-hmm. which, is, which is there somewhere, even if people appear to be very cut off, very disconnected, it's somewhere there. It'll appear uh, sooner or later. And that natural process um, of of reflection, of uh, a light level of, of what Jenlin called focusing, um, it can happen mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. support that happening without having to do a big technique called focusing or anything or anything else. Yeah, yeah, and even without necessarily using the word felt sense, because in the uh-huh. way you describe it, you see, there's something, and there's something is neutral enough that it doesn't require any prior knowledge of what a felt sense might be. Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. And uh, in fact, um, I find myself um, sometimes sitting with my clients and wondering, well, shall I use the term felt sense or not? Do I want to or not? And I'm not um, I'm not quite sure about it <laughs> because I don't need to. I can talk about a sense or a feeling or an intuition, uh, use normal words like that. Um, and they have the des- hopefully have the desired effect. Um, and I don't want to get technical with my clients, um, use a technical term, because sometimes I think in teaching focusing, felt sense is a technical term. And, you know, learn what we mean uh, by this term. Um, But on the other hand, just the words felt sense conveys something to anyone. And maybe if we bring it more into uh, normal speech, um, that that would be good. It would um, uh, point everyone's attention more uh, towards the felt sense. And uh, I've heard some people sometimes get a bit picky about, um, oh, this person's using the term felt sense in the wrong way. They don't really understand it. And they may have a point there, but in their using the phrase felt sense, maybe they're headed in the right direction. Um, uh, Better to be using it than not using it and not knowing anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that uh, it indicates that there is something about that kind of perception. Yes. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, so it's a way yeah. to, to direct people to have some curiosity uh, that there is something there to, to explore called the yeah. felt sense. Yeah. 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 So maybe therapists who, who haven't been trained in focusing and learned what Jenlin says about the felt sense and all that. Maybe they use the term felt sense. Maybe one day they'll stop and say, oh, what do, what do I mean when I say felt sense? <laughs> Maybe better um, go, back to, uh, go back to basics and um, just see what I might... Well, of course, definition, you see, people want a definition of the felt sense, but it, it's that one of the wonderful things about this concept is you, you can't define it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, is, it evades um, uh, uh, the definition, um, which I think is great, because, of course, it's the left hemisphere that loves to define things uh, precisely. But the right hemisphere isn't bothered to do that at all. Uh, yeah. Just uses language that feels like, feels like it's sort of, uh, uh, it's an apt description of, of a felt experience. Uh, the right hand is very perfectly happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Or um, if um, it can be um, described as a process, like something that happens or something that you notice when you pay attention to your inner world. Yeah, yeah. And it is a process, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, a process is another word I uh, keep wondering about because I remember um, a long time ago when I got involved with humanistic psychology in um, the early 1980s, people kept using this word process. Um, there's a process here. We're going to do a process. And um, after one or two 
weekend workshops with all these processes, we all got fed up with the word process. <laughs> but here we are years later and we're using the word process. And um, well, there's obviously a good reason for that. And Jenlin's philosophical work is called a, a process model. The right hemisphere is, is a process, is a, uh, a work, work in progress, a work in process, a process in, in process in a way that the left hemisphere and the, the left hemisphere want to pin things down um, and uh, make it concrete and definite, which is great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we need both. And so as you're talking in these terms, I'm wondering if maybe one way to describe what we do in focusing oriented therapy is uh, putting the client more in touch with that process. And that, in a sense, um, we're allowing the process to carry forward, as the phrase that people use in focusing, but to continue um, by having some uh, attention put on it and removing the obstacles that come from not being in touch with it, but essentially allowing the process to go on. Yes, yeah, yeah. Allow it to be a process. And um, see, one way uh, I do that, and I'm probably you do it, and everyone does it in a therapy session, is to uh, invite the client to um, have a thought, have a feeling, have an image, and then say, it's fine if, if um, you don't have one. And it's sort of a, it's a paradoxical intervention. We, we invite something into the space here. And if it's not ready to come, that's fine. So I'm always telling my clients to, in some way, to work, don't work so hard. Don't try and figure this out. Let's not look for a solution. Let's not look to an answer to the problem, which of course can be, um, <laughs> have to be careful because that can be very annoying to people. Somebody comes to me and they want an answer to their problem, don't they? So I better deliver <laughs> or I'll be in trouble. Uh, but of course, I know that if I just deliver an answer, that's not going to help, is it? So uh, I try to respond a little bit to that uh, part of that. Of course, that's the class left hemisphere speaking like that. Um, and then uh, encourage them uh, to... Uh, to, to slow down and stop looking for answers and uh, solutions and, um, and all that uh, so that a proce process can happen, so that they make space in their minds for their right hemisphere contribution to come in there, which will be a process mm -hmm, mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of some kind. I think there are many, obviously many ways that that right hemisphere process uh, manifests in in therapy the process within one session within one therapeutic hour and the process from one the session one week to the session next week and the process over a longer period uh, of time right 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 so that also, sense that sense of um, um, the therapist being recognizing that there is a flow of this process. And that's uh, more of a dance with that flow than, uh, than just directing it 
um, in, um, in a willful way. Yes, that's the way I like to work. And I suppose a lot of people, a lot of therapists these days are trained to work in a, that more willful way. Well, um, I, I, that's, I, I don't have to do that now, uh, the way uh, I work, I'm free to work uh, as, I, as I want to. Mm -hmm. um, um, yes, I had another thought there. It's just, it's somewhere over here, just lost at a moment that went with this. Uh, and this anyway, maybe if you continue, then it'll come. This that thought will come back to me. So uh, one thing that uh, you were saying a little before, I wanted to recast in a slightly different way to 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 see. You were talking about um, um, with a, a client that uh, sense of on uh, when when introducing the notion of felt sense and, uh, and uh, you know, pay attention and you do it. And if you don't, it's okay. Uh, if you don't find anything, it's okay. Um, what came up for me is that sense of, it could be put in the context of uh, on the one hand, creating safety uh, that say, if the client has questions, say, well, you know what, I can't really deal with this unless you tell me more about what the felt sense is. You're going to do just as much as give safety, but you're going to also be very careful about not doing too much because there is a great value in staying with the unknown as opposed to plugging in, uh, you know, knowledge or information. And so, uh, essentially, it felt like there was a good description of that atmosphere, that balance between safety and uncertainty unknown, without which the process, you know, is stopped. Yes, yes. So maybe enough certainty that for the client to feel safe and have some idea of what's going to happen. And, uh, and paradoxically, in having that, then you open up the time and space for what is unknown and what is uncertain so that there's space for something to happen, which it will, which it will happen sooner or later. And I know the thought that went off over here, it was about pro going back to process for the, the therapist to have um, trust that there is a process, even when there seems like there is not a process. So it's a very big point. The therapist to, yeah, the, for the therapist to trust that there is a process, even when there doesn't seem to be a process. Yeah. If the client seems to be in, uh, stuck in one place and going uh, round in circles, nevertheless, something is happening in the, in the client. And at some point, there will be some opening somewhere which will carry, start to carry the uh, the, uh, their experience forward. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and so, I think that so what feels really important there is that, uh, you know, saying a statement like trusted, there is a process, even when there doesn't seem to be one could seem to be some kind of a mystical statement, you know, but the beauty of it is that with the focusing, uh, approach, there is actually a means to, translate it into action uh, by paying attention to felt experience. So it's not just that it will happen, but that 
pragmatically, if we pay attention to felt experience, then felt experience is going to shift the process. Yeah, if the client takes um, an interest in his or her inner world, they, he or she will discover things uh, in time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there are many ways to put that, aren't there? And um, you use the word mystical there. Well, you can see why people regard it as um, uh, this as a mystical uh, phenomenon. And um, personally, I'm quite happy with that. Um, and I'm also happy with describing that sort of experience in neuroscience terms from what I've learned about uh, how our brains work from reading all these books on neuroscience on my, on, on my shelves. And um, that's, a, I, that's very, I find that very interesting, very rewarding um, yeah. to do that because there is a neuroscience picture about it and it's not a reductionist. I don't think it's reductionist because actually if you go into um, the, the brain and what's happening, you're dealing with this extraordinarily complex, biologically complex um, uh, thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and the nervous system. And um, it's utterly fascinating. And we only know a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. So is this a good place to end or do you want to add something? Mm -hmm. Well, you started off um, with this conversation or are talking about having uh, having this conversation about interaction. And um, so um, interaction is, there is some interaction all the time. There? And we can think of interaction between brain and body, mind and body, that's happening all the time, interaction between the two hemispheres and they're very different worlds that Ian McGilchrist describes so well. And there's always interaction between um, what's happening inside us in body and mind and uh, the world, um, the world around us. And I've just uh, been reading a book about sleep, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Um, very, very good book on the subject and talking about the different, um, the distinctions between uh, triggers to insomnia, things that trigger insomnia or may lead to insomnia um, that are environmental and the sort of factors that tend to lead to what would medically be termed uh, insomnia. So all of this, it's all going on the time. So there you are, I've said my piece. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Okay, thank you, sir. So it was very uh, enjoyable to talk like this. It's nice to have a conversation in this kind of way. Yeah, yeah, thanks. This is part of the Relational Implicit podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to relationalimplicit.com.